Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Peter McCullough. Now, Dr. Peter McCullough, for everyone out there who might not know who you are, can you please introduce yourself? Well, thank you so much for having me on the program. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist in Dallas, Texas. I spend about half of my time in clinical practice, seeing patients and managing them, uh, both internal medicine and cardiology, and with a big focus now on COVID-19 in my practice as well as the other half of the time as a, a clinical scholar, an author, a former editor. I'm a frequent news commentator now. I'm a regular contributor to Fox News, but I've been on ABC and, and, and Newsmax and most of the other major stations. Many people know me because I've been on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast and actually set the all-time record for uh, downloads and, and views and listens uh, of all time. And the reason I think the reason why it's um, so important that uh, uh, people are tuning in is because of uh, the news on COVID-19, everything we've learned about the pandemic, the pandemic response, and now the vaccines. So before we get into uh, like a lot of the issues you might have with the pandemic response, as much as I have issues with it too, one thing I really appreciate about you is that when I heard you speak on the Joe Rogan interview, is you talked about you should look at everything possible to try and treat someone who's dealing with COVID-19, which I, I agree, but you've noticed that they've cleared out all their narratives. I've talked to Dr. Pierre Corey, where they've literally attacked ivermectin. They literally called it a horse drug. They did all these things to it and they've only let one kind of cure or treatment, which is the vaccine. Now, before we get into the vaccine stuff, which I want to talk about, I want to talk about when you look up your name on Google, you get cardiologist, but at the bottom, it says popular for spreading vaccine misinformation. Now here's what's here's where I use the example for you. For instance, you have 667 published medical articles. Now, if you're going to call someone a vaccine misinformation person, why are you publishing their articles or things that they write about? So there's already two conflicts of emotions right there, which I'm trying to show people and which you probably might've picked up is the fact of when you get through the looking glass and you realize that there's a narrative and when you don't go with that narrative, they do anything possible to try and to eliminate you from that. And I want to talk about your experience with that as well, too, how you've kind of when I talked to Dr. Pierre Corey, I've seen and heard his experience of how they've kind of like switched. Like he thought, oh, these are all my friends and realized now they're gunning for him. And now they're telling him like he's crazy and he's not this person that you should be listening to, which I think is wrong. It's all because you understand the truth, which is the fact of they have a narrative. And if you're not with that narrative, then you don't fit in the group. And I think that's wrong because especially during a time like this pandemic where people are just looking for answers. Me, I'm looking for answers. They don't give people who are just willing to try anything a voice, or even if it's like, there's just one measure. Now I, I've, I've said a lot, I've ranted already, but if you want to. So I've never been discredited by anyone credible. And as you point out, I have over 660 publications in the National Library of Medicine, 56 on COVID-19. In the first year of the pandemic, I was invited to be a regular contributor in the Hill. I've testified now twice in the U.S. Senate and co-moderated the second uh, very long session called COVID-19, a second opinion that was in January uh, 24th of 2022. I have testified in multiple state senates under oath, and uh, I've given uh, what many consider are the fairest, most evidence-based uh, updates and analyses of COVID-19 and the pandemic response. So, the real issue at hand is who is attempting this discrediting? Who are these people in Google? Uh, and when you search me, what are their names? Uh, where are they traced back to? And, and why are they doing that? Those are the real questions. Uh, you know, the, the publications and the interviews that I've given like this one, these are very um, uh, in the open. 
they are not uh, um, they are not concealed in any way. Uh, they're uh, they're fair analyses, fair balanced analyses cited in the literature. But who are these detractors? No one seems to know. Um, it, it's crazy just because there's people like me and there's other people out there who are trying to get the correct information, but they can't seem to find anything and they have to find them off of a Joe Rogan podcast they have to find it somewhere else. And then you see those people get attacked as well, too. And I just start to wonder from everything that you've experienced, what have you really learned, like vaccine wise, anything like that of because right now there's if you just don't if you have two shots you're technically considered anti-vax so you're not really considered anti-vax but you're considered unvaccinated and now it's just it's very very weird how it's just one thing and we know it's a money thing i think everyone's got it at this point but there are people reluctant to think that people think that the government has their best interest at heart now i don't think the government's all bad but there's a strong core narrative that has been built and i don't know how we get out of this i don't know where to go i don't know issues with vaccines when i go and try and find any it's very very hard to look and find those issues with vaccines, which we all know are happening. I mean, to say that they say, oh, it's because of the large amount of people that were vaccinated at one time. That's why you're going to see issues with it. It's like, well, there's a lot of people that are experiencing symptoms. There's people that took the second shot and won't get a third. They won't get another booster on top of it because they didn't feel right after the second one. And you can't find any of those unless you know a friend. And if you say, oh, my friend got the shot, then you just sound like a crazy person. Where's the credible stories being talked about with these types of things? What I do is, uh, because I'm an author and a former editor, I rely on the National Library of Medicine, PubMed. Uh, we also have manuscripts coming forward from scientific groups in the preprint server system, ResearchGate, MedRx. Uh, that's really my compass, if you will. There are 25,000 papers published on COVID-19 vaccination, 25,000 papers. So the information is pouring in. And what Americans are not seeing is they're not seeing any update from our public health agencies. With this amount of information pouring in and so many people involved in the vaccine program, our CDC, NIH, and FDA owe America an update, a safety report of what's going on with Americans, what we've learned overseas. Our medical schools owe Americans updates. They should be holding public forums about, uh, let's learn about the vaccines. What are we understanding? I gave a scientific program last night uh, in the Bahamas for doctors here. And uh, you know, I prepared my uh, slides and the slides are all cited. They're all evidence-based. And, and one of the more impactful slides was uh, uh, assembled from the CDC, the Center for Disease Control website. And what we know there is that uh, from November 1st forward, uh, roughly 25% of Americans have taken a vaccine, basically in the form of a booster. So I can tell you, if one has not had a shot since November 1st, they're effectively unvaccinated. Uh, so very few Americans you know, are any, in any type of theoretical vaccination protection window. Now, what we know when people are fully vaccinated is the vaccines have a very high failure rate. So with the Omicron variant in December 10th, published in the MMWR from the CD, fully vaccinated. So one, one would conclude that if the majority of people getting sick with COVID are, unvac are, uh, are fully vaccinated, one would conclude the vaccines aren't very effective. And now we have data coming in the New England Journal of Medicine from Amit and colleagues regarding the fourth sets of injections. And what they've demonstrated is that the vaccine efficacy is unacceptably low. So the vaccines are basically not protecting against COVID-19. That's the reason why people are getting it, uh, are getting the illness. And so many uh, people have taken the vaccines feel burned. The whole reason why they took them is to prevent COVID-19 and they didn't, uh, they didn't work. Now, the, in the randomized trials, which is the only way to make a, uh, a therapeutic claim, the only claim the vaccines have from the original studies is that they reduce the risk of getting COVID-19, the upper respiratory illness, that you know, the, the standard runny nose, stuffy nose symptoms. They have never had a claim and never demonstrated in randomized trials reductions in hospitalizations or deaths, never. And in the largest clinical trials program to date, the Pfizer program, 
there's actually more deaths with Pfizer than there is placebo. So people who take the vaccines uh, cannot expect to have reduced risks of hospitalization or death. And at this point in time, they can't expect to have any protection against COVID. So the question is now, why from a health perspective would one take a COVID-19 vaccine? Well, with something so rushed as well too, what's other experiences like myocarditis or, or something like that, that people are experiencing from vaccines that aren't being talked about. I mean, people know the term myocarditis. I know it, but I don't know the full extensive studies that have been, you know, treated if it's more people with vaccines that get it or not. It's just, you have a large amount of information out there in the world right now, and nobody knows where the hell to go. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what's correct. I'm hoping maybe you have some information that can let me know and maybe let my audience know about some correct information, some things. For instance, um, the main reason I wanted to read out, reach out to you as well, too, not only because I saw just the onslaught of like things being said about you when it comes to the fact that you don't agree with the narrative, um, but more on the aspect of my governor, Hogan, banned monoclonal antibodies. They, he banned a bunch of stuff where you can only get the vaccine. And I had COVID and I was, I think I had one bad day. I got over it in like three days, but that bad day, I was like, if I go to the hospital, what are they going to say? You should have got the vaccine. Like th if that's the only option for treatment, if that's the only thing there, now I get it. It's a preventative measure, but what about if I'm experiencing it? Even I've, if ivermectin might be a preventative thing. What about, what are you going to treat me with? Are you just going to, the person who's paying you the bills? Is that the person you're going to use? Like, that's where I start having an issue because there's a lot of people that when they get COVID, they don't want to go to the hospital because they don't know what's going to happen. Now you have trust or mistrust issues in your doctors. That's where I start having an issue because I think you need to trust your doctors. But I honestly think you need to give the correct information or just information in a whole. Whether you have all your facts or not, you can't sit there and kill a narrative or kill something that is now being – they said they're doing studies now about ivermectin. At least Michael Ostrom said that. Now, I don't know if that's true, and I don't know what studies that are going on, but I start looking at the concept of – are we going to, it's been almost three years. Like yeah, we, we, I think everybody would like to get over it, but they keep saying, no, it's never going to end. It's going to keep on going, you know, good old Fauci walking up in front and, and telling everybody. I'm very, very curious on what you've seen and what you're diving into that can let me and my audience know on where to go during this pandemic and what are some proper methods or maybe some effective positives on the horizon instead of all this fear scrolling that I keep seeing. Well, let me just say that the word narrative or this concept of narrative has no place in medicine. Uh, narrative means to tell a story. We don't tell stories in medicine. And I can tell you, we don't have a narrative regarding heart attacks, or we don't have a narrative regarding types of cancer. Or we don't have narratives regarding pneumococcal pneumonia. People should immediately recognize, wait a minute, narrative for a medical problem? We don't do that. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, so I, I think that would be the first point. Now, I am not an expert on inpatient care. Uh, I've certainly had some of my patients hospitalized, but I'll give you one important point about going to the hospital, which uh, I know um, you considered when you got sick with COVID. The treatment that is used in the United States as a commonly used treatment is called remdesivir. Remdesivir is a repurposed uh, antiviral drug. It is a polymerase inhibitor. It was originally tried in Ebola and, and failed. In the clinical trials with remdesivir, there are more people who die with remdesivir than placebo. Remdesivir has known toxicities to damage the kidneys and the liver. And in 2020, the World Health Organization convened a panel of expert doctors, ethicists, and other uh, individuals. And they reviewed all the data on remdesivir and the World Health Organization issued a um, conclusion that remdesivir should not be used in COVID-19 patients, should not be used because it causes harm and results in death and it doesn't work against COVID-19. Now the uh, European Society of Critical Care also came out with an independent conclusion and that's the case. It should be greatly concerning to Americans that when they go to the hospital, they are given remdesivir against the World Health Organization, really careful and fair review of this. It should also be of concern to them that the hospitals are financially incentivized to give remdesivir. Now, 
when it comes to if people who have the vaccine, for instance, now they wanted to delay documents on that for 75 years. Um, everyone can Google that and see that they did try and delay that. First, it was 50 years and then it was 75. I had a couple friends um, who uh, were worried about miscarriages and they didn't want to get the vaccine because of that. Now, I know there's an issue going on. Um, I don't know the full details of it, but with stillbirths. So I don't know what information you have on that. Well, I'll give you an update. So um, Pfizer, which had roughly a 400,000-page scientific dossier that the FDA uh, allegedly reviewed in 100 days, uh, uh, Pfizer did not make that dossier publicly available. Yet the products are offered through a public program and people are asked to take them. Pfizer is the lead manufacturer. So attorney Aaron Siri and co-counsel Elizabeth Brem filed a lawsuit, a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, uh, pressing the FDA and Pfizer to release the dossier. Just let Americans see what the FDA saw in the dossier. And um, uh, Pfizer and the FDA were reluctant. And they, they F, the lawyer for the FDA didn't want to release the document packet for 55 years. And as you pointed out, pushed it up to 70 years. Siri prevailed and said, okay, uh, we'll get it released over nine months. And the main reason to delay it is that um, identifying information on the patients had to be redacted. So the first tranche of documents have come out uh, from Pfizer. And what we know that since release of the Pfizer vaccines worldwide, within 90 days, 1,223 patients died and people reported to Pfizer. Now, let me tell you, with any drug that goes on the U.S. market, any injection, any intravenous drug, what have you, at 50 deaths, the companies basically stop. They do a voluntary recall, and they say something's wrong. The drug got contaminated. There's some type of uh, processing problems. Maybe there's re reactivity problems. Something's wrong. We, we just do not allow anything more than 50. Now, some people stop it at 25. I've been on data safety monitoring boards where we say, stop, we stop. We've had 60 cases of, of death, we, we have to stop. It doesn't matter if the product directly causes the death or not. It simply matters, did the patient die shortly after receiving it? Because um, you know all those uh, causality analysis are gonna come much later. Pfizer never stopped and the FDA didn't stop. So Pfizer knew and the FDA knew at 1,223 deaths that occurred relatively quickly after the vaccine. There were 1,291 new diseases, what's called special adverse events of interest, everything from uh, various neurologic conditions, uh, some that the FDA has warnings on, others uh, not, uh, blood clots now well-recognized, uh, heart damage, myocarditis, skin rashes, immune problems, hematologic problems. Uh, it, it was the most disastrous safety report that we've ever seen on a medical product. I mean, one would look at Pfizer's documents and conclude, wow, this is the most grossly unsafe medical product we've ever seen. And that's just the first tranche of data. Now some more documents have come in saying that Pfizer uh, had to hire hundreds and hundreds of employees to field all these injury reports coming in. So Pfizer, you know, from a programmatic perspective, had to start responding to all these vaccine injuries that came in. So what we are finding out is essentially a medical disaster of a biological product in real time. And probably it's happening with Moderna, Johnson, Johnson, AstraZeneca. We don't know about Novavax in Europe or Australia or the Sinovac out of China, but at least with the messenger RNA vaccines, we've got a medical emergency on our hands. Now, do you think the vaccines caused a spike with variants? Do you think that happened? There are two papers, uh, one by Neeson and colleagues, the other one by Venkata Krishnan, clearly showing that as we vaccinated more, that the narrow immunity that is offered. Now, remember, when someone naturally gets the infection like you, uh, a paper by Hakeem and colleagues showed that you develop antibodies against 15 different proteins with the natural infection, maybe more and you have a full array of T cell and natural killer cell immunity. That's the reason why the natural immunity is so good against any type of uh, illness. The vaccine immunity with for uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and the, the current vaccines is only against one protein, the spike protein. So it's a very narrow immunity uh, and very limited immunity. And because the vaccines don't stimulate secretory IgA in the sinuses, 
and they don't activate the T cells in the sinuses, the vaccines don't sterilize the sinuses from the virus. And we learned this, the first paper was from Oxford, you know, the unit of public health in Ho Chi Minh City, a paper by Chow and colleagues, uh, but then later on by, by Acharian from UC Davis and Rai Marisma from uh, Wisconsin, and then uh, re most recently by Acorsi. All of these papers, these are the first authors, you can look them up or your listeners can look them up to show how evidence-based and supported the statement is. The viral load in the sinuses of those presenting for PCR testing is equal among those unvaccinated, those fully vaccinated, those with two shots or three shots. The vaccines have no impact on the carriage of the virus. They have no impact on people coughing or sneezing on other people with the virus. And our CDC director came out very early in 2021 and announced to the world, the vaccines do not stop transmission of the virus. That should have been a signal to all the employers and stakeholders who are thinking about mandates to drop mandates. Because the only reason to mandate a vaccine is that it's so good that it would make the workplace or the school environment a safer environment, but it doesn't because it doesn't stop COVID and people get, get, get the virus and transmit it. So we have a, a major lapse in how the vaccines actually work. And the safety issues now are overwhelmingly against use of the vaccines, overwhelmingly. And I think that's the reason why you see people protesting. There are truckers. Uh, there's another defeat the mandates rally this weekend in Los Angeles. The truckers will be there. Uh, people, the rates of vaccination in the United States are the lowest they've ever been right now, according to CDC data, because the word is out. The vaccines have a giant, giant set of concerns on safety. But is there a way? I don't. I, I can't see a way out of this. I mean, even if they came out with the correct information, did a complete 180. There's the tr amount of trust issues, and there's people that aren't going to believe that as well, too. I mean, even if you are, get get an open platform to speak, and they all start listening to you, it's just. I don't, I don't really see a turnaround. And if there is a turnaround, are they ever going to have trust again? I mean, maybe people will forget people's attention spans are very quick. They end up moving on, but there's a, not only it should, it, it should be that there's people fighting, uh, these giant corporations monopolize Pfizer made $60 billion so far, but, and I don't really see them doing anything less than making more of a profit as well too. Cause there's still that giant push to go towards that. Now, as much as in our own personal circles, like for instance, I work in a fitness industry, nobody's vaccinated. They all got, got COVID and got over it because we don't even believe in taking ibuprofen or, or Tylenol or any of that. We like our body to naturally handle whatever it is and build up its immunity that way. But there's a large amount of polarization between people. And even with fact checkers on Twitter, for instance, Twitter, one of the biggest platforms that always use the term fact checkers from Reuters, I start wondering how deep does this go? Because they start saying, yes, the vaccine will lessen your symptoms, but also it's going to reduce the amount of spread. So you won't have to worry about infecting your neighbor. Now it's seen as a good act, even though a lot of people know that's not true, but that's not the narrative that they're pushing. Well, let me just make a case for fitness in a paper by Steenkamp and colleagues in the British Journal of Sports Science, uh, about 70,000 people, a big study, he clearly showed that fitness is inversely related to the risks of COVID and certainly the risks of being hospitalized, ICU, ICU use and mechanical ventilation. And that's in people's in their 40s, 50s and 60s. So you're right on the ball. If you're lean and fit, you're going to do fine with COVID. And that's what the data from Steenkamp uh, suggests. And even if you got a severe case and you end up in the hospital, uh, you're going to end up surviving as opposed to someone who doesn't. So you're right on there. Um, but you're asking, where is this going to end? Um, you know, we now have record deaths recorded by multiple life insurance companies, 2021 over 2020. 2020, we had plenty of COVID, remember. So it's not respiratory COVID that's the uh, potential determinant of death. It, it's really the only thing that's happened in 2021 is mass vaccination. We also have record numbers of athletes dying on the field, uh, record numbers of other personalities uh, uh, being uh, injured. And, uh, you know, it is coming out. There, there are things that are happening now that cannot be explained otherwise. So for instance, the Miami, Miami Tennis Open, uh, you know, these athletes prepare for tennis um, all day long. I'm, I'm about, you know, 50 miles away from Miami right now. It's not terribly hot. 
they had 15 people drop out of the Miami tennis tournament. 15. That is unprecedented. The tennis tournament mandated everybody be vaccinated. We have had, uh, uh, you know, a, a University of North Carolina Chapel Hill basketball player uh, in the NCAA tournament, you, you know, collapse to the ground, hold his chest and start vomiting. Uh, you know, you have to wonder every time you have been uh, hundreds upon hundreds of uh, European soccer and rugby players are not saved. And, and again, the query is, could they have taken one of the vaccines and suffer myocarditis? There are 200 papers in the peer-reviewed literature on vaccine-induced myocarditis. The FDA agrees that the messenger RNA vaccines cause myocarditis. This is not a matter of debate. The vaccines cause heart damage. What we know from the literature is the peak incidence is age 18 to 24 in men. So it's men, about 90% of cases are men, but the risk extends all the way up into the 60s and 70s for men. And uh, what we know is that there are fatal, case, fatal cases, well-documented, autopsy-proven fatal cases published initially by Verma, now by Choi, and, and sadly by Gill. In the paper by Gill in Archives of Pathology, two teenage boys uh, on days three and four after the second Pfizer shot die at home. They die at home. Uh, the mothers are horrified. They request autopsies. The boys' bodies get undergoing autopsies, and it's confirmed vaccine-induced myocarditis. It can't be taking the vaccine. Must understand this is in the peer-reviewed literature. This is not a debate, whether it's a debate in a narrative or not. This is happening. It's is do I take one of these vaccines or understand that, you know, there are dozens of lawsuits against the military right now. There's dozens of lawsuits at universities. Now I'm in Texas and I can tell you, fortunately only four small universities ill-advised recommended vaccination or mandated vaccination. And then the major universities the major public and private universities didn't. Uh, I think any employer or any university looking at this should immediately drop mandates, immediately, for the following reasons, is that the vaccines are simply not safe and they're gonna harm the people who are being mandated to take the vaccine. And then the second point is that the vaccines don't work. They don't sterilize the nasopharynx. And again, this is just following the science. And the third point, which I think is really important, is that it appears as if Pfizer, which we know from the case we've already reviewed, and probably Moderna and J&J, that they've probably defrauded the government, meaning they have not acted properly as a manufacturer. And when there's fraud involved, all the liability protections fall. So there won't be any liability protections for Pfizer or even those who are mandating these vaccines or recommending the vaccines. So this liability could go back to every doctor who suggested the patient take the vaccine to every employer, every school, every travel agent. Um, you know, the widespread liability for massive harm, uh, that wave will be coming. I think it's inevitable. I, I think it's going to take time. I just, I, I, I know there's a lot of like doctors, for instance, that are hesitant in giving their uh, patients vaccines. My doctor was, she asked if I was vaccinated. I said, no. She said, do you plan on getting one? I said, no. Um, I like to let my body naturally handle an infection. And that does come with, if I do end up like on my deathbed and I have to go into the hospital, you have to understand that you made your decision. I, I said that in the beginning, but she was like, I didn't want to give it to you anyway, only on a concept of I'm not comfortable with it because I think there's a lot of data that we don't know yet. And now here's the thing. When someone is vaccinated in their 20s, for instance, and they do die of some myocarditis or some type of heart uh, issue. It gets reported as unvaccinated dies of COVID-19. Now, if you look into the article, it will say that they were vaccinated, but it'll be one or it'll be two shots. It won't be the full thing of what they call vaccination. Now, anybody that reads that goes, hang on a second, but there's a lot of people that'll sit there and go, should have been triple, should have been. I have friends that are posting up their shot pictures, which I think is ridiculous. I think that's a giant media thing when they're smiling. Like how awkward is that for the doctor administering the shot? But 
it lands in this realm where you have people fighting people and now there's not any discourse that's being done and it's starting to break us up in a sense. And I start looking at, I don't want time to be the healer in this scenario. I want the right information now. And I get it. You can't have everything right when you want it, but it's a concept of, it's been a long process and I don't know when the end's going to be. I don't know if it's going to take 10 years, 15 years for the right information to come out because right now um, I think I heard uh, Josh Rogan talk about it best where he was talking about like this COVID thing with coming from a lab or something. He mentioned that China's looking at it like each person who's died is a person with a lawyer. That casket has a lawyer. And I look at that from these big business aspirations where Pfizer runs half of our media right now. It seems like everything's sponsored by Pfizer. They're probably looking at it like how many people that might die from our vaccine has a lawyer and how much money are we going to pay out out of that 60 billion that we have now just saying that people go that's conspiracy talk just look around look at what they've already done so far that seems to be manipulations it's money and sadly money is a very powerful thing when you can't see or know a person that's what they're looking at they're sitting on what Dr. Pierre Corey calls ivory tower syndrome in a sense that they're higher up than you and they're not down here dealing with you and seeing all the problems that you're facing and all the health issues that are facing. They're making money. So they're using the stacks of money to cover your face. Like that's an issue. And I don't, I don't know where the positive comes. Are you hopeful? Do you think enough people will like myself or other people that are starting to get this general, I think the general public is kind of more hesitant than ever now, but I just feel like people are more than willing. And at, at that moment, when I had COVID on that worst day, I would have been like, shit, maybe I should have got the vaccine, but I got over it the next day. And then I've seen all the health issues that go with it now. And I start going, I'm fine. Maybe it took a while for my sense of smell to come back, maybe a little bit of brain fog here and there. But I know people that they're still dealing with symptoms that they can't get out of bed and they are double vaxxed. And I get to a point where it goes, you know, they lied to you in the beginning telling you it was going to keep you from getting COVID. Then they switched it. Okay. You made a mistake. Maybe you called it too early, but they're still pushing it and they're doubling down on it. And you're not seeing the correct information come out. Instead, you're seeing a guilt blame when it comes to the people who aren't vaccinated people who have lost their jobs. I've had friends had to quit their jobs because they were mandating a vaccine and they didn't feel comfortable taking it. It's getting to this weird scenario where you're seeing authoritarian control. And I've heard you mention this uh, uh, before on Joe Rogan, your issue with mandates. And I'm, I'm, I'm a vax, I'll, uh, vaccines work, I think, but not this one. This one was rushed a little bit too quickly and saying that puts you in a category of spreading misinformation where you start looking and checking the paper trail and seeing that media is being controlled, not just news networks, but Twitter, all these other things. And I start wondering, let me see your bank statements. How much money are you getting from these giant corporations that are promoting these vaccines? And then we look to people like you who are giving the proper advice and trying your best to just give the correct information. You don't have a bias in whether vaccines work or don't work. You have a bias in getting the correct information to the public. And that's important. And that's what I really respect about you because there's probably a lot of people out there doing it, but do they, do they get a platform? No, they don't. Well, I can tell you the truth is powerful. And like you, I believe in vaccines. I've taken all the evidence-based vaccines. My children have, and we have very good vaccines. I mean, someone your age, uh, my kids, uh, they took the meningococcal vaccine before they go to college. It's mandated for colleges. That's fine. It's very effective. We don't have outbreaks of meningococcemia and meningitis now. The colleges are safe. Uh, the vaccine has zero deaths associated with 20 million kids take it a year, zero deaths. That's the type of safe product we have. We can't have a product like Pfizer within the first 90 days with about probably 30 million people having taken it in the United States. We can't have Pfizer record 1,223 deaths. You know, it should be zero deaths. I mean, that's the type of safety that we must demand from a public vaccine program. We can't tolerate people taking an injection and then dying. There's nothing in our society that allows that. And so right now, I think the only thing that matters is public opinion. That's the only thing. It's not like a court's gonna step in now. I mean, we are so far into this. A court's not gonna step in now and say, boy, Pfizer, why don't you stop 
making the vaccine. The FDA is not going to step in because they're promoting the program. The National Institutes is not, health, health is not. The CDC isn't. They're promoting the program. We've had two White Houses, two presidents. They're promoting the program. So listen, they're not going to make a decision in the best interest of the public. Uh, you know, they are also, by the way, uh, strongly supporting the use of remdesivir, which the World Health Organization says causes death. They are subtracting away monoclonal antibodies from use. They actually save lives in all the randomized trials. They have made it very difficult to use hydroxychloroquine, which is modestly effective, about a 25% effect size uh, in over uh, 300 trials. Ivermectin, uh, over about a 55% effect size over 70 trials. And now we have the Pfizer drug, over 85% effective with about two or three clinical trials, a Merck drug, about 30% effective in a few trials. So we actually have uh, effective drugs that are emergency use authorized. And these agencies are either subtracting them or not making them available or not promoting them, kind of hiding them from individuals. So we have everything oriented to promote as much fear, suffering, hospitalization, and death as possible, including the vaccines including the vaccines. Every single thing is working against the health of Americans. I can tell you, the next person who gets a vaccine is not healthier. They're not. Their body has taken on foreign genetic material, which we now know cannot be cleared from the body. There's a paper by Holtgen and colleagues from Stanford showing the messenger RNA is stuck in the lymph nodes two months after the injection. That's as far as they looked. It could be longer. We have data from Dr. Bruce Patterson uh, as well as his uh, formal interview with me on the McCullough Report, suggesting the full spike protein, which is produced from the genetic material, is in the human body probably for over a year per vaccination shot. This spike protein damages the brain, the heart, uh, the bone marrow. Uh, it causes disease. The spike protein causes blood clotting. You know, these are proven principles in the medical literature. So we have a situation where the vaccines are very unhealthy and people are taking them and then they're regretting it. If they die, the families are outraged. If they develop blood clots, heart damage, uh, paralysis, neurologic problems, uh, it is just an absolute wrecking machine. So the only court that's open is the court of public opinion. That's the reason why your podcast is so important. That's the reason why Rogan's podcast, and when I went on with all I did was show curated scientific slides. And I told the Spotify producers, that's what I'm going to do is review the data. No opinion, no hyperbole. Joe didn't express uh, medical opinions and I didn't either. I just showed the data and it was like a shockwave. Uh, we had four times the number of his usual viewership. And then uh, Biden and Prince Harry and Neil Young, everyone uh, got involved. Um, uh, quickly, people realized I was just giving the scientific data and then they attacked Joe personally for prior podcasts. And then we boosted many millions more of you. So to this day, I hold the record with the Joe Rogan experience for the most listens and view. You know, the transcript came down and you know, the most frequently used term in the transcript was monoclonal antibodies because Joe had received them and I have a lot of clinical experience with them. And then it was other aspects of treatment. There was nothing, there was no controversial terms or anything that went quote against the narrative in the transcript. Are there so, side you know, effects of the monoclonal antibodies? Very, very few, unless it's infused too quickly. Uh, these are very safe and effective products. And I tell you, uh, the, the difficulty with the public is, is they're losing trust with the government. And I think it's too bad. And I did a review for Sebastian Gorka on the government's response to COVID-19. I, I think some things were very good. I think the in vitro diagnostics that matured over time uh, were, were quite good. Um, provided, you know, our PCR tests are done at a low cycle threshold. We now have quantitative antibodies. We have high quality rapid uh, antigen tests for acutely sick individuals. So I think Operation Warp Speed and in vitro diagnostics was fine. I think the uh, monoclonal antibodies were a winner. I mean, we used Lilly originally and then Regeneron. That's what President Trump received. And, and Joe Rogan, quarterback Aaron Rodgers, uh, Regeneron, uh, very safe and effective. Then we moved on to GSK, Sotorivimab, but worked great through the Omicron outbreak. Now everything's been pulled, and we have, unfortunately, all we have left is Lily, Bortorivimab, 
We now have a new AstraZeneca product that's a replacement for the vaccines. It's a long-acting monoclonal antibody called EvuShield, uh, which I've uh, used now a couple of times in practice. Do you know the average American doesn't even know about these products? Uh, there's no advertisements. There's no updates by our public health officials. Doctors are not featuring them. Hospitals don't have any billboards. The average American doesn't stand a chance with COVID-19. They really don't because the doctors, the hospitals, the governments are not helping patients one bit, even with our therapeutic armamentarium that we have. And on top of that, they're being told to take the vaccines, which are causing more injuries. Remember all the things that COVID-19 can cause, including yeah, being in the ICU, developing blood clots, brain fog, neurologic injury, heart attacks, everything that COVID-19 can do is because of the spike protein. And the vaccines do the same thing. The vaccines do the same thing as severe COVID. At least with COVID, we can treat it early. Our methods show if we treat what, how President Trump got it or Joe Rogan, uh, you know, we can treat and get people over with it in about three or four days. The only people who really have trouble with COVID are who are the ones who go untreated or in the ICU for four weeks or, or longer. With the vaccines, we can't do anything. Once it's in the body, you're stuck. We can't get it out of the body. We cannot get it out of the body. So there's, there's an analysis by Kostoff and colleagues published in Toxicology Report where he demonstrated one is more likely to die of COVID-19 vaccination than actually take your chances with COVID. Because when you take the vaccine, 100% chance you got it. If you, if you don't take the vaccine, you may or may not get COVID. If you get COVID, you may get a mild case. And if you get it and you get early treatment with all the evidence-based therapies, you'll get through it. So it's a much better proposition to just get COVID, you know, take your chances and get COVID if you get it. Uh, and a similar analysis was published by Hogan colleagues, now fully published um, in the peer-reviewed literature, showing a young person your age, you're more likely to be hospitalized with myocarditis than be hospitalized with COVID-19 and respiratory illness. These analyses were presented to the FDA in, in uh, September and October of 2021. And I know they're gonna be presented next week again because the independent presenters uh, will have a chance to, to, to uh, you know, review the scientific data. And the FDA did not dispute these analyses. The F, these are, these are not, do not dispute the analyses. So just cause, I mean, I'm not saying I'm scared right now, but uh, what you're saying is kind of fearful for me um, on an aspect of what's it going to take for, is it going to take hospitals and other institutions or states just to do like what they did during this pandemic with masks, just start regulating on their own accord, stop listening to one giant thing and just start going, yeah, I'm going to treat you with this. And I'm going to treat you with this, even though it's banned everywhere else. Is it going to cause that? And then how long is that going to take? And then how many people are going to lose their jobs? Like we've seen happen, people get fired for not getting a shot. How many people are going to treat somebody with something that's not the agreed term and lose their job? That's why people aren't taking these shots and taking their chances. For me, I like a person who's willing to try anything, um, especially when I'm sick and dying. Like, yeah, give me everything just to make sure I don't die. I'd rather take all my shots than just not take them and just stick with one or something. But I, I, that's what I get scared of is I bet there's a lot of people that feel the same position as you, but they're afraid to speak out and a concept of, they don't want to lose their jobs. They're not tenured. They don't want to lose everything that they've worked up for. They have families. And that's what I don't like is that you're getting into this position where you're having restricted flow of knowledge and information only because they only want one thing. They only want this. They don't want all the other ones out there. All these skeptical thinkers or all these people who are willing to try something that's not, you would think that in a society where it's profited that people who think differently than others, they're, they're called the billionaire mindsets, would be chosen and looked to to give advice or give guidance. Like everybody's, everyone buys motivational help books. But where's that right now when it comes to our medical fields? You have a lot of people that are on autopilot and they, they, they might feel inside that they're afraid to do this to this person, but they have to do it. And they're, they're getting so used to it, it's numbing them. You see, during the pandemic at the start of it, when people were dying from COVID, they made it seem like you're going to kill grandma. They made it like you have to get vaccinated. You have to do all this stuff. Now, after where we're at now, everybody's kind of numb. You hear about a COVID death. A lot of people just kind of go, okay, what's, uh, what are we having for breakfast? It's very, very numb for a lot of people. And I think that's going to cause them not to want to care a whole lot about, yeah, just give me the shot if it means I can go to Disney well, World. Let me respond to it. I think people are getting numb to the vaccine deaths. Now, in a paper by Pantazatos and Seligman from Colombia, 
they estimate the upper bound of the confidence limit of people who died due to the vaccine from the start of the program through December of last year was 278,000. So if we've had a million die either of COVID or with COVID, now remember the CDC indicates that it's a small fraction that actually died due to COVID. Most people die with COVID because they have other conditions. The same thing is happening with the vaccine. Sadly, with the vaccine, it can be younger people, your age, uh, who die. So let's take the issue of people trying to save their own skin. So they're going to say, listen, you know, I've got to keep my job. I've got to keep my job. Well, right now we know about two thirds of all Americans have taken a vaccine. And of working age people, it's about 80%. So 80% of people have already done it. Okay. So this issue of keeping my job is about do they actually do another one in six months? Because remember, the vaccines only last six months, three to six months at the most. So that's the real question. The real question is, are they going to keep taking on the genetic material and keep taking another round of injections? So Marc Giardot, a French scientist, has published a really wonderful substack. It's called the Russian roulette of COVID-19 vaccination. With each vaccine injection, there's a roulette. You know, a lot of people have taken one or two shots and they haven't had anything. Hundreds of millions of people have taken it. They said, listen, it's fine. Just take a shot. Well, on the third shot, it's been published in the peer-reviewed literature. It can be fatal on shot number three. So I think it's a cumulative uh, Russian roulette type of risk equation. So most people are not facing losing their job because they've already taken the vaccine. Now we have the most labor constrained market in recent history, percent unemployment rate. No one can afford to lose employees. And so what employers are doing and will do is they'll drop the mandates to get a competitive advantage in the workplace for employees. So notice Starbucks dropped their mandates, FedEx, GE, United Airlines. You know, the CDC doesn't have mandates. The CDC itself does not have mandates. There was a report that came out from Freedom of Information Act, I think two days ago, showing 70% of those in the CDC who got COVID were fully vaccinated and they vaccinated voluntarily. So even the CDC, which never mandated vaccines has gotten burned because people did take the vaccines. It didn't work anyway. So you can see that the best course of action right now is to drop all the mandates for people to decline any more vaccination. And I think the responsible thing to do is pull the vaccines off the market. Now, it would have already been pulled off the market with just the number of deaths, right? They excelled past what normally a vaccine or something or medication, if kills a certain amount of people, they would have just pulled it off the market. But this one's still up there. Now, if they wouldn't have dropped mandates like they're doing now, how big was your fear when they said that they were going to start vaccinating children from like ages five or whatever? Because when I saw that, my eyes lit up and I was like, usually the government can mandate you to get one. But when they mandate your kids, that's an issue because people who are parents step up and say, you don't tell my kid how what I should do to my kid. And when they started reaching over that boundary a little bit, talking about it and then eventually publishing, saying kids can now get the shot, you notice they were not mandating it for children. And I feared that if we didn't step up or people didn't step up or protest or do whatever or stop with the mandates, that whole movement that started, then it was going to leak into the kids. And then we were going to have an issue there. Well, I'm glad you brought up children. Let's get some fundamentals out there. Age 12 to 17, the dose of the messenger RNA vaccines is not changed. So it means Pfizer, 30 micrograms, Moderna proposed 100 micrograms of messenger RNA. Now, ages of 5 to 11, Pfizer is reduced to a third of the dose, 10 micrograms, and Moderna is reduced to 25% of the dose, uh, which would be 25 micrograms. And um, make sure you um, fact check that for me, make sure I'm right on that. Uh, now, once we get below age five, uh, none of the studies have shown that the uh, products can even generate immunity, and they may just not have the dose worked out, but there's not even an antibody response. Um, uh, children, fortunately, have been spared serious COVID-19. It's like a common cold, and I've seen and examined children with COVID-19. I've treated a few that 
needed uh, some mild support. Of the children with 19 in the United States, the vast majority never need anything more than just a few nebulizers uh, and, and don't end up on the ventilator or die. Of those who died, uh, about 600 children, it's estimated that only one was previously healthy. And the deaths occurred in kids with leukemia or cystic fibrosis or congenital diseases. And even our CDC has readjusted to the total were double counted. And so they've dropped that 600, I think, by about 25%. So I, I recently I testified in a court proceeding where I did my own queries. And it is true now that teenagers, more teenagers have died of the vaccine than have died of COVID. And so more children and people your age will continue to die as they take the vaccines. And everybody has to ask the question, is, uh, does someone really take a vaccine to avoid a drippy nose or to avoid a mild cold? Uh, and I think most people actually are not doing that. Most people are taking the vaccines because they feel they have to at this point in time uh, in order to keep their job for three months more or six months more then they have to take another shot or to stay in the military or stay in school or be able to travel. Most people are not taking the vaccines for health reasons. So they have to ask themselves, what is the social contract? If you take a vaccine, what do you really get out of it? Do you get to live uh, another three months or another six months and something happens? Uh, what, what do you really get out? No, no one can tell us. It's not a one-time thing. It's not like a tattoo. People think, people think oh, uh, you know, I took a vaccine like they have two stripes on their arm. I said, no, you're not vaccinated. It's already expired. The vaccines expire very quickly and they don't really work at all anyway. I think so, they would have built up more comfortability with people to get the vaccine if they would have let them sue um, the people that were giving them the vaccine. For instance, as soon as they said you can't sue the people who made the vaccine, I go, then what happens if it goes bad? Like, what happens if I get a bad reaction and it's linked to that? Why can't I sue? That's That should be a question in its own, but people will still not even ask that question. They'll blindly well, take it. You know, I'm glad you went there because they could have said, listen, this is the best we have. These vaccines could be dangerous. In fact, the consent form says that. The consent form, uh, none of the vaccines are FDA approved. So, uh, and so there's no package insert given with the products. They're emergency use authorized. The consent form says the vaccines are research. They're investigational. Sign here. Uh, side effects range from a sore arm all the way to death. And it does say that in the form. So listen, you take it. You're doing it voluntarily and you could die. So that's right there in the consent form. I think if they rolled these out and said, listen, we don't know what's going to happen and your own choice, you decide, review it with your doctor and left it there, people could have made their choices. And I don't think anybody had a problem with the vaccine a year ago. It was completely voluntary. Fine, if you want to take it. Now, people ask me, Dr. McCullough, are you going to take the vaccine? I said, I already had COVID. Remember, the vaccines are only indicated to theoretically prevent COVID in somebody who has not had it. Once you've had COVID, it's too late for the vaccine. That's what I told them. I said, it's too late. I've already had it. And then people kind of looked at me like, wow, it's true. It's true. Once you've had chickenpox, it's too late for the chickenpox vaccine. It's just, it's just a reality. Once you've had mumps, it's too late for the mumps vaccine. It's just, you're too late. And, you know, that happens in life. Uh, you know, the, the legions of people who already had COVID-19 is too late. What you're seeing, though, is you're seeing Obama, triple vaxxed, gets COVID. He tweets out. It's like, no, it's not a good reminder. I mean, that, that's a... Uh, you know, he's basically yet another example of failure of the vaccines. You know, so, so the appropriate treat, tweet would have been, listen, I took the vaccines. I got COVID anyway. Uh, you know, please make your choices wisely. It's obvious the vaccine didn't work for me. Something like that. That would have been uh, a much more responsible thing to say. 
Well, it seems like with the vaccine inefficiency, or if you if you if you do get COVID and you're not vaccinated, people will say, "Well, which COVID did you get? Did you get the original? Did you get the Delta? Did you get the variant? Did you get the Omicron? Did you get this?" Then they start thinking that the vaccine it all depends on. You might have gotten COVID already, but did you get the Omicron? That means you need to get vaccinated, and I don't think that's really how it works. Honestly, in my at least from what I know as personal and just from learning and kind of doing my own research, I would say if you got the original COVID, the original strain of it, then all the variants, you wouldn't need to get the vaccine because that you already had probably the toughest one because everyone that they said has been lower, I think, even Omicron being the least effective. But Delta, they said was more increased in, I guess, uh, it was more effective, not more effective. It was more dangerous than original COVID, but you saw more people struggle with the original COVID than if they got Delta. A lot to unpack. We've had three major waves in the United States, three waves. The first wave was the original, what's called Wuhan, uh, had the highest mortality rate, the original one. Then next came Delta. And the mortality rate for Delta overall was. And then the third wave, which was the biggest by far in terms of number of cases was Omicron, but it had even a smaller death rate than prior two waves. So it's become progressively less virulent. Uh, the case fatality rate is progressively uh, down. Now the vaccines are coded against the original wild type. They're not coded for Delta or Omicron. And that's the reason why they've lost their coverage because they've never been updated. Hmm. Um, yeah, it, it just, like, I think a lot of it now is people that are, they got the vaccine and they're, I would say, they feel like they were obviously robbed, like we mentioned earlier, but they want people to get it so they don't feel like they're the only one in the boat. And I'm not saying that maybe it did help. It, it might've helped some people, I don't know. But I don't think it's a general thing to force people in one direction, either your job or you get the shot. And that is a, where a lot of people feel now, even if there's a social contract, which I, I think is an important point I heard you mention on Joe Rogan. A lot of people are feel like they're locked into that social contract. They can't get out of that type of thing. Even if their job goes, are you going to pay? Are you going to if I experience something bad with it? they don't feel liable. The company doesn't feel liable where you have people that have to make their own moral decisions. Either you can leave your job and you can go find another one, which a lot of people aren't probably going to do, especially if you have a good job um, and a house and everything else you got to pay bills wise. But I think it's up to the companies. And I think this is where you're going to start seeing a change when people start taking their own action and realize how much of this is kind of like back and forth. I know so many people when I, I work at a gym, so when they all walk in, they go, man, I got the vaccine, but I got, I got COVID. So what the hell was the point? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? That's the million dollar question. And a lot of people and they say, oh, it's now people are more vaccine hesitant. Well, it's because the information doesn't make sense. And they patented it up real nice. And everyone listens to the TV and everything. But how long is it going to take, man? That's the real question. That's what I keep boiling down into my mind. It's people like you that are doing a great service by giving people information out there. Now, there are people I'll probably get crap. I got death threats from Dr. Pierre Corey's episode only because people don't like things that aren't on their side anymore. I feel like half of those people that said something to me about that episode, they would be on my side if they wouldn't have already gotten double vaxxed or keep on going. Now people feel like they're just locked into like a nine month agreement in their lease and there's no way out. So they got to keep going with the punches. You know, it's, it's a difficult place, but I think it's uh, like the McCullough report, everything that you have as well too, that you're working on. I think it's important to be out there. I see you actively sharing things you know, on uh, Twitter. Yeah. You know, the up on another really agonizing situation. There are people who absolutely positively cannot take the vaccines, that the safety risk is overwhelmingly against them. Let's take people with blood clots and people with prior history of blood clots or an inheritable blood clotting disorders. They cannot take the vaccine. I mean, the writing is on the wall. They take a vaccine, they'll probably have a fatal blood clot. But yet the employer will say, no, you have to take the vaccine. And they say, well, if I take the vaccine, I'm gonna die. And the employer says, I don't care. So we have a situation where the employers um, now are the ones losing the trust that uh, employ with the 
shot and you know I'm going to die, you're still telling me I have to take it. And the employers will say, listen, we don't accept any exemptions. You go through this cycle over and over again. You say, wait a minute. This is effectively a lethal injection. And the employer dare. And this is where the, you know, there's got to be relationships and supervisors and boards of directors. There has to start being discussion. People have to basically this idea that they're going to save their own skin and take the injections to get three more months of employment. And they're going to have to stand up. People are going to have to make some board presentations and figure out who wants these and who really wants a mandate. You know, I spoke I spoke on the steps of the Lincoln Mail at the Defeat the Mandates rally in Washington, January 23rd, and 30,000 people, I listened carefully, and there were, no, there were no hecklers. There was nobody voicing an opinion that vaccine mandates were a good thing. I don't know anyone in my circles who believe mandates are a good thing for society. Do you know anybody? in your circles, not about the vaccines themselves, about the mandates. Is there anybody in your circle who believes that? Nobody. I think that speaks volumes. Yeah. That's the question on the, well, listen, we're going to have to leave it here and wrap it up. Uh, I do want your listeners to know that they can follow me on America Out Loud Talk Radio, The McCullough Report, as well as go to the Truth for Health Foundation for materials and information about vaccines and treatment, treatment protocols. Uh, the Truth for Health Foundation, truthforhealth.org. I'm the volunteer chief medical advisor. Uh, and then visit the Unity Project. The Unity Project is organizing most of uh, the big responses nationally to vaccine mandates on one of the uh, board of advisors there. There's a lot of good resources out there there's no better time for individuals to get involved. Now is not the time to try to save your own skin for another few months. Something very wrong is going on in the country. And I think all the young people like yourself really need to open and start taking some action steps. Well, I really appreciate you for doing my podcast. And surprisingly, for being in a hotel room in the Bahamas, that was pretty good internet connection for most of the chat. Um, I'll fix it up and edit and everything and post it. Uh, but Peter, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. And thanks for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.